Do you want to talk about the most boring episode of Unsolved yeah. Mysteries ever that we watched? We're doing it. It's, it's fun. It's fall. I'm feeling spooky. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mm-hmm. love Halloween. I'm ready to, like, get into Halloween mode instantly. And Unsolved Mysteries usually does that for me. Like, it gives me those vibes. But then this episode <laughs> did not at all. It was, like, the worst, most falling flat, least mysterious episode of Unsolved Mysteries I've ever seen. <laughs> But we watched it, and so we're just going to fucking talk about it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right, friends. It's season three, episode two, and Mm. I wrote boring underneath. (laughs) I mean, the only unsolved mystery here is how could this episode be so fucking boring? (laughs) It's true. I mean, it's only season three. It's like, did they already give up in season three, episode two? They were just like, fuck it. We're done with finding mysteries. Let's just tell sad family tragedy stories. See, I have a theory. When these episodes of Unsolved Mysteries mysteries initially Mm -hmm. aired, Mm -hmm. we didn't have the answers. There were no updates. Yeah. Now, when you watch an episode, they've included an update Mm -hmm. so that you get the full story. It used to be that you would have to watch the episode and then at the end, they would give an update on a previous episode. Yeah. So you wouldn't get any answers until later because it was happening in real time. Mm -hmm. But now... All of the effervescence of it has just spurred it out the top because they have the updates it's right true. there. But even this episode, even with the updates, even without the updates, it still would have been just like, okay, not very mysterious. You know what I mean? I do know what you They're mean. They're just bummer stories. So the first story is the Bermuda Triangle. So it's like, ooh, mysterious. Everyone knows about this. There's so many things. Apparently, there's like 50 ships and 20 planes that have gone down in this area. And it's like um, a loosely defined area off the coast of Florida. Fort Lauderdale, Bermuda, Puerto Rico. I mean, Fort Lauderdale specifically? Yeah. Oh, damn. I went to spring break there and some weird shit did happen. Whoa. Okay. Um, or did I go to Daytona? (laughs) (laughs) Did you start in Fort Lauderdale and end up in Daytona? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. That's another story. So, I've never done spring break. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's the area. And, like, so the story, I thought they were going to do multiple stories about it and, like, really go more deep into, like, a mysterious element of the Bermuda Triangle. But they didn't. They just chose one specific story about Flight 19, which sailed – not sailed. It's a flight. <laughs> <laughs> It left from Fort Lauderdale from a naval base 
um, on December 5th, 1945. And it was five planes, four were trainees, and one was the instructor, the fifth plane. But apparently it said that the crew was like 14 people. So I was trying to do the math on that. It's kind of an odd number for five planes, but I don't know. So apparently they were like leaving these guys. This was like their final training mission before they were done with their flight school in Fort Lauderdale. And the person who was like their instructor was Lieutenant Taylor. And then as they were like the chief or whoever is in charge was going over the instructions with like the trainees and then Lieutenant Taylor comes in and he's like, can I talk to you for a second? And then he's like, I don't feel like I should be flying today. I just don't feel right. And then he's like, why? And then he's like, I don't know. I just don't really feel right. I don't feel comfortable going out today. Sarah, (laughs) do you believe that Lieutenant Taylor could have possibly had six cents intuition that he was about to be sucked into the Bermuda Triangle? I would like to think that because that would add like some element of mystery to this story. So I kind of wanted to go with it because I'm like, okay, that's something interesting. Um, Then other people say that he just like maybe had an earache or sinus infection or he was hungover, something like that. Because he was like young. He transferred there from Miami to Fort Lauderdale. He's like a hot pilot. He was probably partying it up, you know. Who knows? I don't know. I don't want to disparage his name. Like, I'm sure he had good reasons. And he was trying to do the right thing by saying, like, I shouldn't be fucking flying today. And then they're like, sorry, you're the only person here available. And this has to happen today. So you're going up. Wrong way to the danger zone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In the remake... Uh, like on the Unsolved Mysteries, you know, little snippet of this, they had like some big buff dude with like the aviator glasses on and like his jumpsuit, his flight suit, like unzipped down to his chest. And I'm like, they're totally trying to like milk the whole like <laughs> Top Gun aspect of this right now. Could you, did you feel that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they go out and then it's like, he Lieutenant Taylor is just supposed to be like in the back, just watching these guys fly and like critiquing them and grading them. Cause it's, they're still in training, but they're like almost done and they've flown a lot. Like they're still experienced. He's the oh. Tom Skerritt character. He's the Tom Skerritt. Mm-hmm. And they have to do like a fake bombing mission. So everything goes fine. And like they do the fake bombing, the bombing drill or whatever it's called. And then suddenly, like, as they're starting to make their way back, so they're heading up back, like, in the direction toward Bermuda, it looked like, on the thing. Because I think they had to do, like, one more thing. What do you mean you're doing? They're forming <laughs> On my airplane. Yeah. <laughs> you're reminding me of E.T. right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's, like, a light <laughs> right by my finger. <laughs> so everything has gone well they're like heading back they just have to do like one more thing and then suddenly like lieutenant taylor's compass isn't working properly 
And then he's like, you guys, I think that we're lost. And it's like, well, first of all, you're in the back. Second of all, if your compass isn't working, why the fuck are you telling people to follow you? Because you're the boss? Exactly. So, again, I don't want to disparage his name because we don't really know what went on. No, we don't know what happened. But they're instructees. And so they feel like they're just like blindly following him, even though they have compasses that are, I think, working at this time. And they're like, this is not right. Well, they have to by law. Follow follow their leader. I mean, that's like, you know, you can't disobey the leader's orders in the military. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, there's four other planes telling you that this is wrong, but you're insistent. I mean, I feel like everybody's had a conversation with somebody where you say something to them and they're like, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, fine. Don't believe me. I just experienced it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like the saddest part for me is thinking like they're just blindly following orders and to their death. Well, it made me wonder what would Maverick do in that situation? Maverick would not have blindly followed orders. And in that sense, I in the moment of this episode of Unsolved Mysteries from 1990, I finally appreciated Maverick's rebellious nature from mm-hmm. Top Gun. So I guess also because he had just recently transferred from Miami to Fort Lauderdale, you know, he kept thinking Taylor apparently kept thinking he was over the Florida Keys because he saw like little islands. And so being from Miami, he would have been more used to that. And it's like, maybe he didn't acclimate to his new environment. This is what John Myers theory is. And he, he's that guy with all of the maps. He's a guy with the maps and the submersible. And I was like, is this what inspired Titanic? It's like, he has, he's just some dude like treasure hunting He's got time. He's got money. He's got maps. He's got a submersible. Yes. And then he's looking for things and he thinks that he found like where these ships are. And it reminded me of Titanic. Did it you? I've not seen that movie. Damn it, Holly. Anyway, it starts with people looking for the big old necklace and they go down in a submersible thingy (laughs) i saw a clip of leonardo dicaprio this was my first impression of that movie and then i didn't watch it was that i'm the king of the world Mm -hmm. thing where he's like on the ship and i was like "Eh, i don't want to watch that yeah maybe someday also i'm not really into celine dion wow dropping bombshells left and right I mean, I don't even think that song's in the movie. So just so you know, when you do watch it, you won't have to deal with any Celine. If you I'm ever. pretty I'm pretty sure I'll never watch that movie. It's got Billy Zane in it. Yeah, that's <laughs> Billy Zane. <laughs> and he's got hair. <laughs> Does he usually not? Yeah, he's like bald all the time. Oh. Are you do you know who Billy Zane is? I know he is uh, Audrey's boyfriend in Twin Peaks. 
Okay, that's why we knew him before. Mm-hmm. That's all, like all I know him from. I feel like and after that he's like bald all the time. I think he's um, in Zoolander or something, and he's oh, he always has like a shaved head. Okay. Anyway, way off track. So yeah, yeah. then they. How can you not get way off track? We're talking about the Bermuda Triangle. That's a good point. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> the so Bermuda he- Triangle is live <laughs> and well on Cover Your Eyes podcast. please pull over if you are driving right now (laughs) yes (laughs) so he thinks they're over the florida keys and so Mm -hmm. in that case he's like we need to keep going east but it's like Wah, wah. Actually, no, you're over a different group of islands like the Antilles or something. The great, the great Abaco Islands. You're over the Great Abaco Islands. Which and is so actually 300 miles away from where they think they are. Oh, and it's east of where they think they are. So they actually needed to be going west. And he's mm-hmm. like, you need to keep going east. And then the other planes are like, are you sure? I'm pretty sure it's west. And he's mm-hmm. like, no. We just flew over the keys mm-hmm. going east. And they're like, oh, God. So they do it. And then, like, they're going and they're going and they're going. And finally, someone's like, this is wrong. Like, we need to go west. And so finally, he agrees, like, fine, mm-hmm. let's go west. They're going. They're going. They're going. And on, like, at least on the Unsolved Mysteries version of it, it mm-hmm. makes it, like, even more tragic because when they're – approximately like seven minutes off the coast of florida they don't see land still and so they're like shit he must have been right we must have been going the wrong way now we need to go back east again so they're like almost to land and then they go the other way yeah and at that point i think one of them like broke off and one of them actually like crashed there off the coast allegedly okay john john mayer can't say for sure (laughs) Don't call him John Myers. Wait, is it? I'm sorry, John Myers. John <laughs> Myers. Damn it. So John Myers needs to pull the airplane wreckage out of the ocean mm-hmm. to to be able to verify if it's one of the planes. Right. But this is his theory of what happened, and also. He might have not even had the opportunity to take his submersive down into the ocean if it wasn't for the January 1986 Challenger explosion. <gasps> I know. Dropping, dropping into the Fort Lauderdale. So what are your memories of the oh my Challenger God. explosion? They showed that footage and I yes. did not watch. Did you? I did watch it Ooh. i like watched it going up and then i turned away i don't recall seeing the actual explosion though i feel like i i mean yeah once they mentioned the challenger i was like oh my god okay so the challenger mission was 1986 it was like the gonna be the 10th mission the 10th flight of that spacecraft or something like that they were going to be launching some kind of satellite and then they were also going to be studying Halley's Comet. 
like doing something regarding Haley's Comet, which was like huge at that time. I remember in grade school, it was like Haley's mm-hmm. Comet, Haley's Comet every hundred years. And we did like projects about it and drew pictures about it. And then, so it was the first time they were doing a mission and it was like a, pro- a new thing from NASA, like teacher in space. And so Krista McCullough, I like will never forget her name. She won. She was one of like 11,000 applicants and she won the spot on that mission. Um, She was from Rhode Island. She was 37. And she was going to teach two lessons from space. That was like the plan. So because it was a teacher and it was the first time a teacher was in space, freaking every kid in the country was watching it live in grade school. It happened at like 1030 in the morning central time. And then 73 seconds after launch, it exploded into a million pieces while everyone was watching. I was so excited because I was yeah. super into space mm-hmm. and I was really excited. And then I had this weird like drop feeling in the pit of my stomach and like when we were watching it though Mm -hmm. like before like we all sat down and so I felt really uncomfortable for some reason and then it went up and it exploded and there was this weird feeling for me of like that I knew that was gonna happen Mm -hmm. and so it didn't I, I didn't feel surprised but I felt really like sick to my stomach like I had a visceral reaction to the whole thing of Mm -hmm. feeling like really sick to my stomach and it was a really super vivid memory for me because it was one of the first times where I felt like affirmation that the outside world wasn't safe Mm -hmm. that the outside world is unpredictable and it's so unpredictable that like this sure thing that's happening right now is a complete disaster and it literally exploded into a zillion pieces in the sky and like that's a hard fucking lesson for everybody that watched it Hmm? like do you remember what happened i feel like we were each like still in our own individual classrooms yes watching it and they brought it in tvs yes so I remember like sitting at the desk and like having the TV rolled up and being like all looking forward at the TV. I was but trying to remember at, what grade. I know. So because I feel like 86, it would be like second or third grade. See, I thought it was second grade mm-hmm. because I remembered Mrs. Or, I'm sorry, Miss Harris. Right. Uh, and she was my second grade teacher. Yeah, mine and too. She, so we were in the same class, actually. We were in second grade together. Yeah. We didn't become friends really till fourth grade. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we sat by each other. Wait, did you grade. have Miss Stinson? Yes. Shit, we were in third grade together, too. What the too. fuck? <laughs> that is weird, dude. That's so we weird. About this, but we had yeah. not been sitting by each other because our names are close. Yeah. What? I don't know. Why didn't we become such good friends in fourth grade and, like, I don't really remember before. Yeah, I don't either. Let's explore that later. Yeah, I guess maybe our maybe our senses of humor's just aligned. I guess I don't know. We should think about that. Yeah, 
That's mind blowing. Yeah. It so is. we were in the same class. So we watched it together. Yeah. We watched it together. What happened after? Like, what was the aftermath? I remember Miss Harris. I remember the look on her face. Oh my God. Because at first it was like, like her eyes got really wide. Yeah. And she was staring at all of us for a second, like kind of frozen. Mm-hmm. And then I could sort of see this. I felt like this creepy. I felt like this dread. I just felt it's more of a feeling of like she's so scared right now. Yeah. Like she has to interact with us when she's in shock herself. Because that was one of those events that happened that's like a mass tragedy that's happening in real time Mm -hmm. and when that happens it has a different energy to it it's interesting yeah just imagine having to like face a classroom full of second graders that just watch a teacher explode live on television like what was that like and i don't remember anything besides that look on her face Mm -hmm. because it was also like a moment where I felt like connected to her Mm -hmm. um and it was one of the first times I felt connected to one of my teachers where I was like oh she's she's not just a she's not just my teacher she's like there's she's a person outside of teaching this class I guess It was like an awareness of that, I think, too. I've thought a lot about this experience of seeing the Challenger Mm. disaster um, explosion. Also, I probably, too, because I have... He's like an uncle age, but he's one of my cousins. Mm -hmm. He uh, worked at the plant that made whatever like the ring there was like some ring it only got up to a certain temperature the ring whatever the his company is responsible for Mm -hmm. that and like a bunch of people lost their jobs because that company got in big trouble or whatever i think you're wrong about does a episode on the challenger explosion Mm. Mm -hmm. that'd be Um, good yeah it was terrible so it was pretty significant in my mind everything's unstable chaos reigns that's like that's a interest- became an anarchist in second grade exactly <laughs> <laughs> you're right <laughs> you might as well embrace it <laughs> wow yeah that was huge that was a huge moment in our childhoods so what about you? I mean, I just remember, yeah, up to that point. But after the actual explosion, I don't remember what happened in the classroom. Um, but I remember, like, going to the house where I got – because I got babysat by the my friend's mom down the road. And I remember, like, just being in their living room and watching it on the news that day. Like, just seeing the explosion, like, over and over and over and over and just being like, oh, my God. I I don't know. I just felt like, yeah, like sad and scared and disappointed. 
It wasn't a good feeling. I would even say it was worse than when a kid threw up in class and they went and put that like weird pink sawdust stuff on it. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Way worse than that. Why do I have so many vivid memories of vomit <laughs> in grade but, school? But like for me, I, I agreed. I do too. There's a lot of vomiting in grade school in the class. Yeah, and I remember like details. Yeah. <laughs> what it looked like. But and who it was <laughs> up until like you know that's like the, about the worst thing that happened in school like that like kids puking in the classroom was like the most traumatizing thing for me at school until we had to watch the challenger explode on tv in real time and then it put the vomit in perspective oh my god you're right <laughs> It's horrifying. It really is. I'm pretty sure there's a You're Wrong About episode okay. that is about, they go into detail about all of the things that happened with the Challenger disaster. Mm-hmm. And just, a lot of it. Happened. It should not have happened. Exactly. A lot of it's like people being impatient. Mm-hmm. That is never good. Oh, Okay. So, yeah, because of the tragedy of the Challenger explosion and where the debris landed, then it, like, led people to be searching that area for the debris. And then they found, like, oh, here's a plane. But they thought it was just, like, a DC-47 or something that was, like, not mysterious. And they just were, like, not interested in it. But then John Meyer heard about it and he was like that might be one of the flight 19 planes and so he got his crew together and he went and it matched all the descriptions of the type of plane that was which i think it was an avenger it was called i didn't write it down but i think it was an avenger and he was like yes this is it this is it it was that type of plane and then so he was able to use like the mechanical arm on his submersible to like pull off the plate to try to get to where the engine was and see if it had a serial number. But then when they brought it up, they couldn't find any serial numbers to confirm that it was like an Avenger from that actual flight. And he's like, the only way we'll know is if we can bring it up, which is like a huge undertaking, which would take like tons of funding. And so there was no update on that one. Mm -hmm. Then I looked it up and it sounds like no, it sounds like that it actually was not one of those. I didn't think it was. It still has never, they've still never been found. Yeah, because they got sucked into the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. Which is a portal that flies you into another timeline. Mm. And it's somewhere out there in the middle of Bermuda, Puerto Rico, and Fort Lauderdale. It's in the middle of Bermuda, (laughs) Come on, pretty mama. <laughs> you look <like> Montego. <laughs> okay. I feel like that song came out around the time of the Challenger, too. Mm-hmm. So. Cocktail. Yeah. With Tom oh, Cruise. Oh, cocktail. Okay. So they never found them. And then also I read that they, like, sent out – um so like 7.30 that evening, you know, the planes hadn't returned. So they sent out these two vessels called like sea, not sea, like seaplanes or like mm-hmm. flying boats, they basically called them. Mm-hmm. 
to look for them. And then those never returned. Right. Uh, but apparently they think that they just blew up because they were like notoriously <laughs> bad at not catching on fire. I mean, that's a big coincidence. Still. Is it? I don't know. I'd need to see the like statistics on the percentage of those boat planes that go out and burn sporadically i'd need to see the stats on that yeah if it was like 50 percent of the time they explode then yeah <laughs> i feel like i really yeah they probably just were you know exploding but yeah they just call them flying boats it's like can we think of a better name then they were nicknamed flying gas tanks because oh. of their propensity for catching fire great which is like, hey, Mitchell Jones, you're going out on the flying gas tank tonight. I would be like, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> Can you imagine being given that mission to fly something that's known for exploding? No, that's terrible. God. Are there any stats on that? I no, I don't have that. I don't oh, okay. That's that. okay. But apparently, like the seaplane may have gone up in flames. And there was like a passing merchant ship that spotted a fireball and found evidence of an oil slick in the ocean. So it's like, mm, it was mm. probably that. Okay. Yeah. That, that one sounds like it just exploded. So altogether, 27 people died because of the planes that went down and then the seaplanes that went out to look for them. Wow. I know. None of them were ever found. So sad. And it was all just for a training mission, too, which makes it even more sad, you know? Man. If only Taylor hadn't had had to go out that night and they could have put someone else in his place or just waited, like, one day. Couldn't they wait one day? It wasn't like, even, like, a real mission. You gotta stay on a schedule, Sarah. I know. It's more important than anything else. Yeah, so that's a tragic story of flight 19 in the bermuda triangle now i bet that there's probably a lot of good explanations for the bermuda triangle rumor but i like to think there's a portal out there yeah that sucks the plane up i think it's more interesting to think of something supernatural or like Mm-hmm. even some even if it is just like some actual like geological or you know magnetic field phenomenon that is explained by science but it still is like mysterious mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah definitely that messes with people's compasses and mm-hmm. just like another dimension mm-hmm. i guess in the movie close encounters of the third kind they say they reference flight 19 and they say that it got like somehow mysteriously transported to like a desert in new mexico see mm-hmm. that's probably where i got that story because mm-hmm. i saw that movie when i was a kid is that the one with richard dreyfus yes okay <laughs> i'm richard dreyfus <laughs> okay hmm. oh gosh 
So that's that story. There are more apparently since like so many things went down there. But then, mm-hmm. you know, people say that like statistically there are no more lost ships or planes there than there are in any other large body of water that's mm-hmm. frequently traveled. Well, there they also go. say that there are like there's something called like super waves or something where the waves get up to like a hundred feet tall there because of where it is like the confluence of areas there at the tip and they're like crazy storms and so that could like destroy any evidence of planes or ships because the waves are so treacherous there wow yeah apparently 100 foot wave is pretty i i like this reason Mm -hmm. this one's my favorite really yes the wave the wave suck is my favorite explanation okay good i mean it's like still interesting but could be real they're called rogue waves they're massive and reach up to 100 feet and would theoretically be powerful enough to destroy evidence of ship or plane it's located in an area where storms from multiple directions converge it's basically everything i already said that's a portal Mm. where all of the waves converge with maximum force yeah portal it's true it's a water portal it's a water portal i like it let's go with that one god i'm glad we solved this mystery yeah (laughs) (laughs) thanks to your cracker jack research Thanks. <laughs> My crackpot ideas. <laughs> Cracker Jack. Yeah. So the rest of the stories were just like sad stories that mainly have to deal with like poverty affecting it, people's lifestyles and ability to make their own choices. And the need for birth control. Yeah. And the need for birth control. That was like the theme of the rest of the episode. Don't get me started. Don't get her started. It was like the next story was a woman who basically just kind of like they say got in with the wrong crowd in high school and was like involved in a robbery, like an accessory in a robbery. And so she got sentenced to a year in jail and she like had a baby in jail. So they took it away and she gave it up for adoption. I think they said she like willingly gave it up for adoption. Then it like happened again and she was in jail and pregnant and she kept the baby and like raised it in the nursery of the jail for like 10 months but then eventually she like caved to outside pressures they said and gave that baby up for adoption Mm -hmm. and it sounds like she kind of got like swindled into signing some papers that she well her name's uh marge and marge was visited by an attorney for her mother Mm -hmm. and the attorney for her mother was going to take custody of the baby when she was looking over the papers to sign and she was like, I don't understand any of this. And the attorney said, don't worry about this. That's just some legal jargon. You can sign here. Mm-hmm. That's That was my favorite quote. <laughs> That's always good advice. The reenactment. <laughs> I'm sure it was exactly like that. I know it's horrible. <laughs> But it was for her mom. So it's like, I think her mom was trying to help. Yeah. But she was uh, also didn't have the resources right. to take care of the baby. Mm-hmm. So then it got adopted out. She got adopted out from there. 
Exactly. And then it happened a third time. And this time she just like, I think she said she just willingly gave the baby up for adoption again because she knew that it was like she thought it would have a better chance at having a better life. Yeah. So then later she like gets on the right path, sets herself straight. And then she's like, you know, I miss my babies and I want to find them. And then the one girl, this is the best. So the story starts out with this like little girl with giant red curly hair in like a rainbow outfit sitting on a flower bedspread. And they're like, and her name is Jackie Dragon. Dragon. And her mom's last name is Ryder. So they're like Dragon Ryder. I know. I wrote the same thing. (laughs) I was like, Jackie should hyphenate her name to Dragon Rider. That's the coolest name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, Jackie has the most incredible lady mullet I've ever seen in my <laughs> <Yeah>. life. It <laughs> is curly. It's like that beautiful coppery red. Mm-hmm. And it's a full-on mullet. It's like a power mullet. I would call it like an aggressive power mullet because it's like super curly too. And it's just like no apologies here. There are no apologies <laughs> going on. And I love it. I love Jackie Dragon Rider. <laughs> I was so happy she found her mom. And oh, she, sweet. so she lived in the prison for 11 months, the first 11 <laughs> months of her life. Oh, she's the and- one. Yeah, and as she they told the story in a weird order, I've got to say the kind of yeah, it was. That, I they? was, I think it was because they were trying to create like a mystery, mm, okay, out of something that wasn't a mystery. <laughs> okay, go but, on. <laughs> but um, so Jackie Dragon, she, when she was a kid, she was super into uh lady prison <laughs> movies. That was the funniest part and i was like i was like hmm, if my little girl was into lady prison movies i'd be like oh i wonder if you like the ladies <laughs> but jackie dragon it didn't have anything to do with that jackie dragon that's neither here nor there she later was like well now that i know i was adopted and that i spent the first 11 months of my life in a prison with my mom I wonder if that's has something to do with it. And I thought, obviously, it does. I'd say so. That was so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she was just like snooping through her parents' stuff like kids do when they're left home alone in the 80s. You go through your parents' stuff. And well, then yeah, they're not there. They yeah. deserve it. I mean, whatever I find, <laughs> I actually found some things I wish I had not found and I could take out of my brain right now. <laughs> you know what? I, I didn't that. snoop. Oh my God. Why? Because one time when I was like five or six, I was mm-hmm. over at my mom's friend's house. Her name was Sue. Mm-hmm. And I thought she was the coolest. Yeah. Yeah. And she had this desk in one of the rooms, and it was this really ornate, pretty desk. Everything in her house was, like, beautiful. I found stationery was on the top on the desk, right? And I was really into stationery. And so I started looking through the drawers because I thought, oh, this is where all the stationery is. Well, then she came in, 
And she was like, oh, you can't look through other people's things. And she got really upset about it. Not like Mm -hmm. mad at me, but she just got really upset. Like, that's not something that you ever do. Mm -hmm. And it just left an impression on me because I was like, oh, God, like, I don't want Sue to not like me. So Mm -hmm. I guess in the back of my mind, I feel like Sue is watching me from above being like, don't look in there. Yeah. So I learned that early. Also, my uh, mom always told me that you're playing with fire when you snoop because if you find anything bad, you can't tell the person that you found it. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's like hell. That's interesting advice. It's true. Mm, Of course, she read through all of my uh, (laughs) journals and poetry and burned it all when I was like 14. So you know, but I took her, I mean, at least I'm doing, at least I'm doing what she was saying and not doing what she was doing. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Which reinforced that you shouldn't snoop (laughs) for me. Yeah. But what did you find? (laughs) I'm not telling you. (laughs) I don't want to know anymore. It's still in my mind. So, so uh, Jackie was snooping. Jackie was snooping, then she's like, "Oh shit, I'm adopted." That explains a lot. And then she's like, "I want to find my family." And then eventually, she started looking, and she did. She found her mom, and then they got together, and then they found her sisters, and they all reunited. It was very nice, and they were all doing well. Yeah, and Marge, uh, the mom, Marge Ryder, she was wearing the most awesome 80s cat shirt whenever they had the final like reunion when they were all finally together mm-hmm. it was great yeah and then the other story was about poor a poor family that got in trouble for being poor and all of the kids were dispersed and like the mom was just left and the all of the kids that were on their adults now they were like we didn't we were all happy together like we were fine and then the people just came in and were like y'all are too poor and the kids got <laughs> taken to these different orphanages and it's like what the fuck i know it's so sad i've seen multiple stories like that on unsolved mysteries and i mean i know there are tons of them and i'm sure it still happens today but typically today if it's just poverty you know, there's more assistance. I think it takes more to get your kids taken away now. And sometimes they're like taken out of a home when they mm-hmm. should be. That's a whole other story. But they all ended up together. Yes. Two. That one like, really made me cry. It's so sad. I was like, I was full on fucking crying when Aww. I was watching that episode. Oh my God. Or that segment. Yeah. It's like, okay, um, that happened in... 1944 so it's like hello it's like world war ii you know things are happening it's not an easy time for anyone iowa it's a single mother of six kids with a deadbeat dad exactly first of all you're a woman in 1944 like how many job options do you have i'm sure she had like zero education probably she probably came from poverty too like a woman in the 40s. Yeah. Well, and who's going to take care of your kids? 
Who's going to watch your kids while you're at work? No one. Yeah. Maybe Here, someone could, but who's going to watch six kids? You know? Yeah. The dad's like, they said, barely in the picture. So it's like, um, she's on her own struggling. The kids are well adjusted. Like you said, they said they were fine. They didn't realize they were poor. Like a lot of families don't because mm-hmm. it's subjective. And it's like, as long as they're happy together and they love their mom and they love each other, then why not um, use your resources to just give them some food instead of ripping their family apart? Why is that the solution? It was like she was being punished for being a single mother. She was. And her children were punished for being born to like a poor single mother. Even though it's like, oh, good. Okay. Yeah. You got taken in by some dude that's a deadbeat. Mm -hmm. And now you're supposed to be judged and punished because he promised you the world and gave you six kids and no support Mm -hmm. but that's your fault because sarah eve hello Mm -hmm. (sighs) it was terrible it's like all the kids slept on like one mattress on the floor Mm -hmm. and then the woman's like what did you have for dinner last night and the girl's like puffed rice Mm -hmm. and then the woman just gives the mom a dirty look like oh you piece of trash And then she goes through all the cupboards and they're bare and she's just looking at the mom like, you're terrible and you don't deserve these kids. These kids need something better Mm -hmm. and we're taking them. So like three months later, they just come and take them. And they tell the kids that they're going to the movies. Mm -hmm. And then they're just like, not only taken from their mom, which is like super trauma, then they're separated from each other. And three of them, like the littlest ones, get adopted right away because it's like little tiny cute ones will Mm -hmm. take those. And then the older ones are just like left in an orphanage. Yeah. And then the girl was like crying and crying and crying. She's like seven. So she knows what's going on. And then she gets punished by the orphanage woman for crying Mm -hmm. and she locks her in a closet at night. Mm -hmm. You're going to stay in this closet until you learn to quit crying. Mm -hmm. It's like it doesn't work that way. It's so terrible. And it's like, guess who funds the orphanages? Like probably the state or something. Whoever is paying for the orphanage, just pay for food for these families so they can stay together instead of torturing the entire family and like traumatizing everyone and then sending them into like foster homes where the kid had to work on a farm, which he was like, I think they just wanted a farmhand. Absolutely. Yeah. They're just like free labor. We'll take some foster kids, send them our way, Mm -hmm. and we'll just neglect them and make them work really hard. And collect the stipend. And collect the stipend, which is like, um, maybe that stipend could have gone to their fucking mom so she could buy them some food. Wow. Oh my God. Sarah, we don't have time for rational solutions. God, it's so (laughs) terrible. (laughs) But like you said, And so, you know what? So then the kids from the foster home were like, this is terrible. Like, I'd rather be in the goddamn orphanage. They went back to the orphanage. And then they stayed there. It's not until like 1952. So they were in an orphanage for like Mm -hmm. eight years. The formative years of their life. And they could have been with their family. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, I'll give you back to your mom now. And it's like, thanks. Mm -hmm. You ruined our lives. 
But yep. somehow it seems like they all turned out okay, not super traumatized, or at least they're hiding it well. And so they did reunite the two sisters that got like sent out and got adopted. They had different names, but so it was like Jim, Delbert, Sharon, Doris, Tommy, and Florence were all the kids. And then like Sharon and Doris were the two girls that got adopted out. And then Sharon was like, I want to find my family. And she was able to find her one sister, Doris. And then Doris had her birth certificate. So she Mm -hmm. knew where they're from. And then Sharon's like, I'm on it. And within like one day, she found like two aunts and like a brother or something. And then they all reunited except they could never find Tommy. But then later at the end, it says they did find Tommy too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They all found each other. Yeah. Part that really got me was whenever the one sister was saying that they're not their family's not going to be whole until they find Tommy and they showed mm-hmm. this little picture this picture of him as a little boy I just thought of my niece and nephew who are relatively close to me in age if I had only seen them until they were six and then I just Aww. didn't know where they were and I just fucking lost it yeah so I was like really fucking happy for the update for that one and also he has a double earlobe oh my god like I know I was the coolest thing ever I was like he's basically a cat okay <laughs> I was like yeah they're like his only distinguishing feature is a double earlobe yeah. I'm like what that's I'm like the co- I was like man that's so neat I wanted to Google it and like see more pictures of double earlobe. Yeah, I've never heard of that before, except for like cats. I had never either. Yeah. Cat people. Yeah. yeah so that was a happy ending. And then mm-hmm. it's just like, I can't believe that happened like so frequently. It's taking resources away from pulling kids out of actual abusive homes where where the adults are violent right be it emotionally physically sexually however the adult is mistreating and making it unsafe Mm -hmm. you know that was like a classic example of whenever you hear people say like that if you know as long as you have love like you don't need money Mm -hmm. not that you don't need it but you can be happy because they were a happy family. Yeah. And they didn't notice they were even poor because they were all loving and nurturing with one another and they had a loving, nurturing mother. Mm-hmm. And that it was probably one of the most horrible things I've ever heard. I can't even begin to fathom that. I know. Having your children just ripped away from you because of things that are completely out of your control. It's terrible. Yeah. It's really convenient for Christian dogma to be that if you're poor, you deserve to be that way because you're not working hard enough. It's Mm -hmm. the like Protestant work ethic that like God's going to reward you for all your hard work it's the prosperity gospel Mm. you know all these televangelist people they all subscribe to the prosperity gospel of Mm. god rewards so like if you have a lot of wealth that's a sign that god is looking favorably upon you it's very convenient 
dogma for a capitalist society. It's a way to justify mistreating people who do not have wealth and victim blaming. And if we know anything about history, it's that people love to victim blame. Yeah. All through the years. It's tradition. And that's what happened to the Hex. The family's name, Heck. Heck. What the heck? It's terrible. But they all got back together. And that's yes. a happy ending. Great. Oh, I was going to say, I didn't watch the last one. <gasps> oh, okay. So the last segment is like a woman who's in a gang-ridden neighborhood stands up against the gang and gets shot and killed Mm -hmm. and they're looking for a killer is that the summary um no oh wow okay well that was my impression of it Mm -hmm. so here's why i didn't watch it because i got this really okay whenever we were growing up there there was this whole idea of like the super predator which is totally fucking racist bullshit which is just like kids who are black like black teenage boys Mm -hmm. who live in low-income neighborhoods like these really stiff penalties for crimes a, a turning away from rehabilitation and an embracing of punishment yeah. And these forces are all coming together in the 80s and 90s to create a level, a subconscious level of racism due to fear that's been instilled by the media. By every time you turn on the news, it's a picture of a black guy committing a crime like that was the news this like propaganda machine of like all the horrible scary gangs Mm -hmm. and all of this stuff and like a lot of it turned out to be bullshit Mm -hmm. and I felt like it was bullshit at the time it felt like propaganda like it's really easy to see it's like the movies we watch where there's like a black guy standing on a corner with a knife and it's like 1981. It's bullshit. And nobody's talking about poverty. Everybody's talking about super predators. It's a great distraction from the real problem. How the fuck are you going to make a book? And all of that came up when I saw the like clip for what it was going to be. And I was yeah. just like, I just can't fucking handle this. I get it. I was tempted to not watch it as well, especially because I was already like bummed out on this episode of being like, (laughs) God, now this. But so, yeah, it's a woman. It's in Palo Alto, California, and apparently Palo Alto is where Stanford is. So it's Mm -hmm. like all like Ivy League and fancy, but then like East Palo Alto like is just like a regular neighborhood 
Mm-hmm. But then it got overridden with like drug trafficking, they say. Mm-hmm. And so this woman, the way they portray it on this, I don't know if it could have been the way they portray it, but it's like basically on her street, people would park in front of her house and just like deal drugs in front of mm-hmm. her house. And they say that like all of the affluent people from Palo Alto would go through East Palo Alto to get their drugs. And it's literally like mm-hmm. a drive through mm-hmm. Like there are drug dealers standing on each side of the street. And then there's just like cars like Mercedes, mm-hmm. BMW, all these cars like lined up on this one street and just going through. And it's like people fighting to get to them to like see who can sell them the drugs first. It's like a drive through on their street, like a drug drive through and it's apparently going on all the time and they're always parked in front of her house and she's mm-hmm. like hey could you guys not park here and, and they're like f you lady like we're working here and then she's like well i'm gonna take your license plate and call the police <laughs> it's like this 60 year old woman and then her son darnell lives with her too he's like 20 something mm-hmm. at the time i think and so she like writes down their license plate and calls the police and it's like oh shit this is not gonna end well and then she keeps doing it and then the police are just like so overwhelmed at the time that they say there's really nothing they can do about it it's like they've got other crimes that they're dealing with so they don't really address this and then but it goes on for like years and then she's always confronting them like don't do this in front of my house get out of here and she calls the police on them and then this one time this kid walked up to her and was like um, if you keep messing with us, I'm going to blow up your house. And then she's like, an officer was parked right across the street. And she goes up to the officer and she's like, did you hear what that young man just said to me? And he was like, no. And she's like, he just threatened to blow up my house. And then the officer's like, do you want to do something? Did you want to press charges do you want to make a citizen's arrest? And she said, yes, I do. And then, so he went and arrested him for that threat. But then she's like, he got out like right away. You know, it didn't really make a lot of difference. And then another time she was um, telling these guys like, get out of here, you know, go somewhere else. And this guy came up and just like punched her right in the face. And so she slapped him back and then he grabbed like a piece of wood and then she got it away from him yeah he was gonna like hit her with a two by four or something and she got it away from him and she went to her house and they're like go ahead call the police and then she did and he got taken to jail but then she's like he was already like back on his way home while i was still there filling out the paperwork to file Mm -hmm. you know claim against him and a charge against him Mm -hmm. and so it's like you know she's trying but nothing's changing no, she's trying to go through the proper channels she's trying mm-hmm. to do what the institutions of justice have told her is mm-hmm. the proper way to handle right. situations but then, protocol is bullshit like another time her neighbor comes and tries to defend her and then her neighbor gets like the shit beat out of him and then the guy gets oh sent God. to jail for that. And um, then they say things quiet down for like 10 days, but then it's New Year's Eve and apparently New Year's Eve, like in a lot of places, um, people like to fire off guns, oh, you know, yeah. at midnight. 
Mm-hmm. So that was happening. And she's like, I was in my bedroom and I heard the guns. And then I was like, oh, it's just for New Year's Eve. And then she's like awake. So she goes to watch TV. And then like 20 minutes later, there's just like a hail. It's raining gunfire, a hail of bullets. Mm-hmm. And they shoot like 35 rounds into her house and she gets shot in the stomach. And her son's there and he calls 911. So she survives. And then they say after that happened and everyone like really rallied around her and they were like, enough's enough. And apparently it helped like clean up the neighborhood. And they show her like walking to a park and kids are playing at the park. And Mm -hmm. she's like, it's changing slowly and I hope that it continues. So it's uplifting. Yeah. Where was the mystery? Uh, they never figured out who were the two gunmen. Oh, okay. So it right, was right. like looking for the info on. on yeah. The- yeah, that was it. So that was the episode. The most exciting part of the episode was Robert Stack actually went like on location in Palo Alto and like walked in her front yard and he was wearing like a button up shirt and khakis with no trench coat. He, and I was like, oh my God. He was wearing a lot of different outfits this episode. Okay. And I will also, his eyeshadow <laughs> was not as prominent <laughs> as it has been on other episodes. <laughs> but I have to say, I agree with the makeup lady. I think he looks good with eyeshadow. <laughs> I'm on I'm on it. I'm with her on this. Oh, I stand God. by the makeup lady on Unsolved Mysteries. Nice. I also watched I watched a different episode mm-hmm. in addition to most of episode two from season. Yeah. I watched episode six from mm-hmm. season three. Because it advertised that it was a real-life Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, obviously, we have to watch this one. And you thought the same thing. You agreed. Yeah. And then I don't know. The only thing I think of is the first story there was a bridge in the town that they were talking about that looked very similar to the bridge in Twin Peaks. It's the bridge that Ronette Pulaski and Twin Peaks walks across when she's the next day when she's all disoriented. And mm. the bridge looks similar to that. Hmm. So also there's men that are wearing a plaid flannel that kind of look like uh, they could be loggers or work at the at the mill. Um, wow. There were two tortured girls that were dead. And then this other lady turns up murdered and her son thinks that she knew who the killer of the two murdered girls were and that the killer murdered her as well. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, I mean, then 20, sorry, 20 years later, the son gets killed. 
he gets shot through the heart. God. Uh, turns out, though, that it was a murder and it didn't have anything to do with the two tortured girls that they talked about at the beginning of the show from 1964. Hmm. Which is the part I assume that had to do with Twin Peaks because there's well three murdered girls in Twin Peaks but you know two of them that we're aware of before we get into Fire Walk With Me the movie Mm -hmm. Teresa Banks Um, well actually no I guess we do know about Teresa Banks yeah anyway um I'm a little well I guess they were just really trying to jump on the popularity of Twin Peaks at that time that must have been the time right it was at uh, the peak of Twin Peaks. Exactly. So they were just like, this is close enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, so sorry. This episode already sounds way more interesting than the other one. <laughs> right? Okay, so then another story was that was about uh, kids in an orphanage mm-hmm. that they were being abducted. Mm, by this oh. woman georgia tan and then oh, oh is this adopted i know this yeah. story yeah it's terrible. oh my yeah. god really i'm sorry but you owe me an apology yeah. for making me watch the other episode instead of this <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> i am sorry i thought i thought <laughs> that the other episode would be more interesting <laughs> i'm very sorry that i thought that And then I told you that we should watch the other one. I should have just said, yeah, let's just watch this one. And we'll try to figure out what about this episode is supposed to be like Twin Beaks, (laughs) which is the real mystery. That's true. (laughs) Oh, my God. And what was the other? Was there a third? Uh, Yeah, there was like a like. And I actually remember this from when it aired of like the uh, identical twins. Nature's whimsy. Mm, what's that mean? That's what they said. Identical twins are nature's whimsy. Oh, okay. It was yeah, just I about twins in general. It was like uh, Robert said was like identical twins. <laughs> Proof of nature's whimsy. It was like that. <laughs> And I was like, ah, nature's whimsy. (laughs) That's hilarious. It was great. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, it was about these uh, Mark and Jerry uh, Levi who were separated at birth and they're identical twins. And then they reunite 33 years later and they're both firefighters. (gasps) Like it's like everything about them is like exactly the same. Like they do all of the same stuff. Like eat the same foods, they have the same habits, like they have the same mannerisms. Mm-hmm. It's as if they never grew up apart from one another. Wow. And then there was this other twin couple who um frankly they creep me out. Mm. Um Lavona and Lavanda. Okay. And they married 
identical twin brothers oh no so there's pictures of both couples and each is a set of the other Mm -hmm. um and then they are they always dress the same oh no the boys and the girls uh I don't know about the guys but the women were always dressed the same in like all of the pictures and all of the interviews and everything okay okay um and they're really they're mirror image identical twins so like the Lavonda has you know a poor eyesight in her right eye Lavona has poor eyesight in her left eye it's like like that and um they have um where okay one of the sisters one of the twins got into an accident and the other twin actually saw the accident and was able to take her dad to the road like where the twin had that in her mind yeah holly this is the stuff that i love (laughs) 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 i think i would have loved this episode damn oh my god well now that i have the other episode that we watched to compare it to Mm -hmm. i know what the standards are i didn't have i didn't have much of a because okay i remember unsolved mysteries (laughs) as being this like awe inspiring yes event that happened Mm -hmm. every week as a kid it's true I never missed an episode. Mm-hmm. I know you were crazy about it too. I was. But when I watched this episode, I was just sort of like, okay. Yeah. And I didn't really feel any of that. And so I think that's why I thought, oh, this episode's boring. Maybe, you know, the good one, there's another one that's really good and it's probably the Bermuda Triangle one. <laughs> Damn it. She tricked us. Well, we could still, I mean, you know, if you want to watch this one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, there were these two twins, uh, Lewis and Donald Keith. Mm-hmm. And they grew up together. But they live 500 miles away from each other. And one day at the health club, Lewis was doing an exercise and they had him do the reenactment. Oh, good. Of it, of what happened. And he had like one of those uh, wooden dolls, like bars behind his back. And he was swinging it back and forth like to work out his obliques and then he goes oh and he like obviously turns like the wrong way on purpose and then Mm -hmm. makes like an owl face it's great he said that he was doing that exercise because he heard that it was good to get rid of love handles Uh uh-huh I just thought it was really funny because he used the word love handles. Oh. <laughs> and I haven't heard that in a while. Nice. But I feel like it. people said it a lot in the 80s. I still say it. 
love handles and thunder thighs. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then his twin, Donald, who was 500 miles away at work, he felt the exact same shooting pain mm-hmm. down his leg. Wow. Yeah. That's like reminds me of the time life books kind of stories. That's what I love. Mm-hmm. At the same time, usually it's something more dramatic than like a twisted back. <laughs> back injury. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> I want to see that reenactment. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Okay. Well, I mean, regardless of the doldrums of the material, I enjoyed talking about it with you. So I still had fun. I still had fun too. Okay. Thank you. I would wager that the discussion of Unsolved Mysteries is more exciting and eventful than actually watching the episode. In this case, I 100% agree. episode was just like sad yeah um all right cool anything else um if anyone ever comes to your door saying that they're a police officer and they're testing houses for contaminated milk what lock the door and run away was that in an episode uh, yeah, that was the last thing in the episode. It was about a child molester. Contaminated milk. Yeah, he would go to people's door where he would scope out a house and look for a stranger. I mean, he was like a stranger danger guy. Yeah. And he would um, go to the door because he would know that there was a latchkey kid. Always. And then he would say, hello, little girl is anyone home and then she'd be like no and then he'd be like well i'm a police officer testing contaminated milk may i come in and see the milk in your refrigerator oh no and then he'd like flash this like fake badge thingy and then he'd come in the house and assault the kid oh god but he was like on the most wanted list but they caught him but the girl so this last time that it happened though the girl um he was like traveling around because he was actually a salesman a traveling salesman which is another reason we don't have door-to-door salesmen anymore no one would ever answer their door anymore because of people like kenneth robert statton yeah he was diagnosed as a criminal sexual psychopath and then they set him free because he had already like messed up kids and violated and abused them and got sent to prison and diagnosed and then they were like oh you know what we need to put some of those uh black teenage boys that were selling weed on the corner in jail so hey kenneth robert statton you can go ahead and leave jail Mm -hmm. oh my god even though a psychiatrist diagnosed you as a criminal sexual psychopath Mm -hmm. and then he started doing this whole thing like as soon as he got out again 
What were you going to say about the last girl that happened to you? Oh, so uh, she let him in because he flashed the badge, but she was like really hesitant. She was skeptical. Yeah. Uh, finally, though, he talked his way in and then uh, she screamed really loud and just like fought him and he mm-hmm. ran away. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then they called the cops and you know there was like a bulletin put out because it was like pretty obvious that because they already had record of them and stuff mm-hmm. so she probably saved the world her her like strength and quick thinking saved the world from a future serial killer mm-hmm. probably killing kids because like he was obviously escalating and like well on his way yeah. to just getting worse and more depraved God. Uh, so but then they caught him after the episode aired mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> and then there was like a picture of him and he was wearing like those like serial killer glasses, glasses. he looked like oh. yeah he had like serial killer glasses on and he looked like a wax figure oh. like he it was creepy he was really creepy um oh my god so yes so wow there's some fear like why did they leave us with these stories like i i kind of want to watch more of these and see what the pattern is of the order of story Mm -hmm. because it's kind of a bit see that's the other thing is that watching these now because they include the updates yeah to the story there's no tension Uh uh-huh like, I kind of want to watch, I wonder if there's some on YouTube that have been recorded and uploaded from a VHS that's, like, original, mm-hmm. that if it if it would have the old, that old magic. That yeah, I bet you could find some on YouTube. Yeah. That's where I would look. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so two episodes. That one. Yeah. Two and sounds one. like a whopper. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I feel like um, I might want to tell you, do you know about the twins? The woman that like takes over her twin's life. And she had like poisoned a bunch of people and her family and stuff. This is a real story. Yeah, this is a real thing that happened. Um, No, we should do an episode about it. Yeah. But the twin thing made me think of that because I'm actually reading a book about her right now. Are you serious? Yeah. And, I, oh, and then yeah. I watched that and I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. I'm interested in that. Okay. Twins, they're nature's proof of nature's whimsy. Exactly, Sarah. <laughs> you are correct. Robert Stack is proof of nature's whimsy for me, <laughs> especially with eyeshadow on. Yeah. I got hit on by twin girls before oh and it was real fucking weird and I yeah. did not like it yeah I can it see that me, they weren't identical but it made me really uncomfortable they were like almost identical mm-hmm. it was weird they had really bad boundaries I mean I didn't take it personally I was because they I felt like they like hit on everybody mm-hmm. but I was just like this really gross and weird and yeah and i need to go to the bathroom (laughs) not come back (laughs) they followed you to the bathroom 
of them um, had changed into a nightgown. What? Like a see-through nightgown. Are you kidding? Oh, no. I was over at my friend's house. It was a whole thing. Anyway. Oh, my God. You know what they say about me. Men want to be me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And women want to be with you. (laughs) Twin sisters. Oh, God. That's what you always say about old Holly. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want that story. I actually have it. I also have an inappropriate story about snooping in your parents stuff Mm -hmm. that is also incest related oh my god do you want to hear it now no okay i'm gonna hopefully be going to bed soon well there's no real incest okay it's a it's a porno that was found oh okay okay, it was like a fake when everyone's step related Uh, so yeah really Okay. You can pretend, but not really. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but I'll. But remind me. Okay. To tell you, maybe that'll be for a future. Something. Ugh. Okay. All right. Well, that was all interesting. You know how you just went. Ugh. Yeah. That was my reaction <laughs> to what happened. <laughs> when my friend pulled out the stuff she had found in her mom and dad's closet oh my god yeah now make this a patreon please okay exciting and disturbing okay mysteries were solved and a good time was had by all thank you for joining us indeed we love you i love you holly i love you sarah Thank you. I love you, listeners. Bye. Bye. Fiber-rich foods or prebiotics are the number one gut-healthy thing you're not eating enough of. According to the USDA, more than 90% of women and 97% of men do not meet their recommended intakes for dietary fiber. Supergut makes getting this essential nutrient back into your diet easy and delicious with award-winning foods that are clinically proven to boost gut health and all that comes with it. Go to Supergut.com and use code Ethan to save 20% on your first order. That's S-U-P-E-R-G-U-T dot com, code Ethan, to save 20% on your first order.